good morning. My name is Billy Waters. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I was thinking earlier this week, it, it is interesting that Time Magazine, their annual event, uh, they call the 100 most influential people. It's interesting because they don't say the 100 most powerful people. It's not those that uh, have the high political office or they don't highlight those that make the most money or that run the biggest organizations, although they might be influencers, but they, there's a distinction that Time Magazine makes. And I think that that distinction is significant for us because um, power has the capacity to change someone from the outside in, but, but influence has the ability to change people from the inside out. If you look at the person, the Apostle Paul, he didn't have political power. He didn't, he didn't have corporate power, social power, cultural power. But what he did have was influence. Uh, he, he did have Roman citizenship. So that was something, but it was the Roman government that killed him. So that, that didn't work very, out very well. But he did have influence. If you were to say who are the most, or two or three most influential people in the entire, the history of the world. I mean, Paul's got to be on that list. I mean, we do read his work, inspired by the Spirit, by the way. And so he's tremendously influential. And yet he, you know, he didn't make he didn't have money, he didn't have a political position, he didn't have social power, and yet he had tremendous influence. He changed the hearts of humanity. You have influence. It doesn't matter if you're a third grader or if you're a CEO, if you have an entry-level job as a, an accountant or a financial advisor or whatever it is. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert, an extrovert. It, does, it doesn't matter if you're, you stay at home or you work out in the workforce or, or where you're at in life. Everyone in this room has influence. You have influence in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in this place, with the friends that you have and the family that you have. I mean, you have influence. You have the ability to, to be used by God to change people from the inside out. Everyone in this room, whether we know it or not or whether we believe it or not, words have the power of life and death. Those who love it will lead its fruit. People are looking at you and how you live your life will determine how you influence others. So the question I want to pose for us here today is, is how do we steward the influence that God has entrusted to us? We all have it. How do we steward it? And stewardship means not only making it grow, but also apply it in a particular way that allows it to do its work. And so we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, because Timothy and Epaphroditus are two people that have been highlighted by Paul, and he says by the time he gets to the end of this section, um, people honor them. Why? Because of their influence, how they, how they steward their influence. So for us this morning, how do we steward the influence that God has entrusted to us? Before we look at that, let's pray. Lord, we want to ask that your blessing will be upon your people. We pray, Jesus, that you will open wide the gates of our hearts. King Jesus, that you will come in. Lord, we are thirsty and hungry this morning. So Lord, by your power, by your grace, fill us up with everything that is right, good, true, noble, praiseworthy. Fill us up, Lord. We come before you helpless. Fill us, we pray. We are helpless. Give us your mercy. We are helpless. Provide us your grace. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. The passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at, in the words of Karl Barth, uh, has no direct teaching. 
but what Paul is doing, and I, I don't know if I agree with that completely, but what he's doing is he's, he's highlighting two exemplary uh, people within the first century. Two people that everything that he's talked about earlier on in chapter two, um, in terms of uh, radically living their life for the sake of Christ, what Christ has done, being obedient even to the point of death, everything that he's espoused in the uh, beginning of chapter two, he's highlighting in two particular people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And it's in these two people that we're going to see what it means to steward our influence. First, if you have your scriptures, go with me. Uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. First, through the person of Timothy. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare for everyone looks out for their own interests, not for the those of Christ Jesus. And this is highlighting going back to what he said earlier on in chapter 2, verse 4, or verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. You know, humble yourself. Don't look at your own concerns, but look at the concerns and the needs of others. Humble yourself for the purpose of serving. And so when Paul thinks about that, taking on the very mindset of Christ, he thinks about Timothy, that Timothy is one who humbly serves. And then he goes on to say, for what purpose? Verse 22, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. It's not for his own benefit. It's for the benefit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there it is, humble, sacrificial service on behalf of other people. Now, I think if we're honest, if, if I'm honest, it's very appealing to look at somebody who is um, using their resources in humble service. It's so compelling, so attractive. I mean, you might have somebody in your own mind who just humbly serves wherever they go. It's so attractive, and yet, if we're honest with ourselves, it's, it's a struggle to be that. It's a struggle to lay down our aspirations, our opinions, and preferences for that. It's hard to lay down our own interests for the interests of others. It's so easy to see ours. And the more that we see our interests and do not humbly sacrificially serve, the more we become or gravitate away from the people that God has called us to be. And so it is so attractive, and the invitation is for us to pursue that in the name of Jesus. But notice what David Brooks says in his, in his uh, work, Road to Character. You grade yourself on a forgiving curve. We all do. You follow your desires wherever they take you, and you approve of yourself so long as you are not obviously hurting anyone else. You figure that if the people around you seem like you, you must be good enough. In the process, you end up slowly turning yourself into something a little less impressive than you had originally hoped. A humiliating gap opens up between your actual self and your desired self. The point is this, is that we are called to live into our actual self, how God has actually created us to be, to thrive. How, how do we do that? It's through humble service. That's what it means to grow up, to be mature in Christ, humble service. I mean, an infant does what an infant does. A teenager does what a teenager does, but when you're an adult, and if you're an adult parent, you, the way you're an adult parent is you, you consider the interests of your child above yourself. Like you're lifting them up, caring for them, you're sacrificing for them. And so it is with what it means to be adults in Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Consider others better than yourself. Teresa of Avila says, when one reaches, listen, the highest degree of human maturity... One has only one question left. How can I be helpful? 
The height of Christ's likeness is other-centered love as displayed through humble service to others. That's what we learn in the person of Timothy. The key to stewarding our influence is humble service. That's the first part. But the second part is seen in the person of Epaphroditus. Notice verse 25. But I think it necessary to to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. Here is just like the full explanation of what it means to be a partner in the gospel. Because Paul calls him a fellow soldier, a co-worker, my brother, and he is your messenger. You couldn't, you couldn't come yourself, but you sent Epaphroditus to me to do something for me that you couldn't do for, uh, by yourself. And he ministered to me. He ministered to you. He's a partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep reading, verse 26 and 27. Notice how that partnership gets expressed. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Now, we don't know where Paul was in prison, whether it was in Caesarea, Ephesus, or Rome. If he was imprisoned in Ephesus, that's like 500 miles away from Philippi. And if it's in Rome, that's like 800 miles away from Philippi. And he, you don't have planes back then. It's not like an hour and a half flight. So travel back in the ancient Near East was incredibly taxing. It probably took him uh, at least 40 days to go from Philippi to Rome. Also, he was carrying a gift. Now, it was not uncommon during those days, if you're traveling by yourself or even with another companion, to be mugged or attacked along the way, especially if you had a gift. Epaphroditus had a gift, and he was bringing that gift to Paul. The the travel that he would have had to uh, undergo was incredibly taxing, and according to Michael Bird, he says this might have been one of the reasons why um, Epaphroditus falls ill. Now, what caused the illness, we don't know. But somewhere after he left Philippi, the time that he was ministering to Paul, Epaphroditus was sick, extremely sick to the point where Paul thought he was going to die. Now, in our culture, if someone is severely ill, we expect them to get better. In that culture, someone gets severely ill, they expect them to die. And Epaphroditus gave all for the cause of Christ, gave all to be a messenger to encourage Paul. He sacrificed everything possibly to the cost of his own life for the purpose of the gospel. And in here is the second key. Because just as Paul talked about before, that you are called not only to believe in Jesus Christ, but to suffer for Jesus Christ, so Epaphroditus is being exemplary in that commission to lay down his life for the sake of the gospel, doing what he talks about in the Christ hymn. In chapter 2, verse 9, therefore God, I'm sorry, verse 8 He humbled himself, being obedient to death, even death on the cross. He took on the very mindset of Christ. And herein, when you look at Timothy and Epaphroditus, we begin to see the key to stewarding our influence. And that is this. Humble sacrifice, humble service. Humble service, humble sacrifice. Leadership, Christian leadership, is godly influence for God's mission. The components of godly influence it's humble sacrifice and humble service. Now you look at the person, you look at the person of Epaphroditus. I mean, he, he lays down everything. 
And there's nothing that is more compelling to a congregation when you see somebody who's sacrificing everything for the cause of Christ. And I would say, and we're going to find out in just a second, Dallas Willard will say, if you want to grow in Jesus, sacrifice. If you want to bless the community, sacrifice. The key is sacrifice. Dallas Willard. In the discipline of sacrifice, we abstain. We abstain from the possession or enjoyment of what is needed by us. Not as in frugality of what is really superfluous anyway. Sacrifice as a discipline is absolutely indispensable to help our faith rise to where it ought to be. And until we have come to the place of sacrifice and have seen the hand of God, we will never have that assurance about the reality of his kingdom that we need to nourish our life and to provide from within us the river of living water to a starving world. Do you see it? Sacrifice fills up in us the gospel. And it's through the sacrifice of a life that's given for the cause of Christ becomes a conduit, conduit of nourishing life to a thirsty world. So what does it mean to steward influence? Humble serving, humble sacrifice. Jesus Yes, he, he exemplifies it, obviously, ultimately, but he also gives us the power to do so. But you look at Jesus. He had to borrow a boat to get across the Sea of Galilee. He had to borrow a donkey to come into Jerusalem. He had to borrow money, borrow an upper room, borrow a tomb. And yet all the while, he's feeding the 5,000, healing the sick, casting out demons. He's just dropping blessing everywhere, and yet he has nothing, sacrificing even to the point of his own death. Most influential person in the world, hands down. Paul second, Jesus first. Why? Humble sacrifice and service. This is the key. All right. So how, how are we going to apply this? I want to apply it in three different areas. Stewarding influence with humble sacrifice and service. I want to apply this to all of us as the congregation here. Uh, second, uh, to leadership. But then third, to next generation leadership. First, all of us. If you look back earlier on, before Epaphroditus and Timothy, we look at chapter 2, verse 5. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the very mindset of Christ. Another, be one-souled with Christ. That's for all of us. And that's just not for a select few, but that's for everyone. Uh, and Brennan Manning, in one of his books, he, he, he makes the distinction. He says, when we're not walking in humble service and sacrifice, there's a couple things that will begin to pop up in our life. And I wrote down this list, and I want to share it with you for the purpose of loving conviction. You ready? Okay, here we go. This is, this is, how we need to, this is when we need to grow in loving service, or humble sacrifice and service. First, do I live in fear? Am I preoccupied with acceptance and approval of others? Do I buy into outside experiences and hobbies for personal source of meaning? I am blinded to the light and truth of my own emptiness and hollowness. I demand to be noticed, craving compliments. Gains identity and status from achievement and connection with important others. I struggle to have the true intimacy in any relationship, including self and God, because I am connecting to please to be seen as important. I dread solitude and silence with no distraction. Interesting. I am hard on self and projects fear and anger of, of self out onto others. I find it difficult to have gentleness and compassion towards self and as a result toward others. I struggle to be patient with others. He goes on to say, this is how you know when you go into a room and you say to yourself, not out loud, but to yourself, here I am, here I am, here I am. 
the humble person says, there you are, there you are, there you are. Humble sacrifice and service recognizes that we have a cup running over because of God's grace. We cannot be full of God and also be full of self. When we're full of self, actually our cup is empty. But when we're full of God, our cup overfloweth. When we walk into the room, we look at people that we can pour the cup of blessing into their empty cups. Now, we can't control and we can't manage how they receive the cup. We can't, we can't manage that. That's on their side of the street. But what we can do is recognize what our responsibility is as followers of Jesus Christ, to steward our influence through humble sacrifice and serving, recognizing that our cup is full and that we are called to look at those who maybe don't feel seen, who are, are, who are hurting, who want to be known, who are desperately longing for the love of the community, the love of Jesus, and we take our cup and we empty it on their behalf. Sacrificial serving and loving. That's what we're called to do. The value of a life is not measured by what we receive by the end of our life. True value, the value of life, is measured by what is given away. At the end of our days, we will be measured. The value of a human life will be measured by what is given away, not what is accumulated. David Brooks, in the first chapter of his book, Road to Character, he talks about the distinction between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. What is spoken of you after you pass away? And what you hear in those eulogies is the value of a life is determined by what is given away. So the key to influence is humble service and sacrifice. Now that's for all of us. Okay, now I want to um, shine a spotlight on church leaders. Because, why? Because uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus are church leaders. They're, they're leaders within the church, and they're, they're taking the message of the gospel to the world. And they're also ministering to other leaders, but they're leaders nonetheless. And notice the, the emotions that are present within the leaders. Verse 19, Paul is cheered. Verse 26, Epaphrod- um, longs for all of you. Verse 27, he's, uh, Paul is spared sorrow upon sorrow. 28, um, Paul is eager to send him. Paul is glad. I mean, these are just not light words. These are emotions that are irretrievably bound up in the lives of the people that they are serving. In other words, their heart is going out to the people that they're serving and they're letting them know about it. They don't have a coat of Teflon over their heart. They're giving themselves away for the lives of others. But also notice when you look at Timothy and Epaphroditus, they are leaders, but they're inculcating the mission, the message, and the methods of the kingdom. The mission is the glory of God's kingdom amidst a broken world. The message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The methods are humble sacrifice and service. And Epaphroditus and Timothy, the reason why they're influence, people of influence is because they're inculcating it. I was talking to um, a senior editor of one of a, a leadership magazine a number of years ago. And I said, you've talked to thousands of leaders, whether they're Christian or non-Christian. What is the most um, compelling attribute that you've seen in the leaders that you've talked to? Without pause, he said, those that inculcate the message and the mission of that which they represent. When they don't inculcate the mission of what they're serving, you can sniff it out. But that, the person that inculcates the message and the mission, and they're utilizing appropriate method, methods, there's nothing more compelling. And so as leaders, that's what we are called to do. Engage in leadership, which means godly influence for God's mission. This is how we are called to live. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because um, 
you know, 15 or 20 years ago, th- th- I would get questions like this. Tell me how to get plugged into a small group or life group. Tell me a little bit about your children's ministry. I want to hear more about your youth ministry. The most prominent question I think I get now is, who are you accountable to? And when I dig a little deeper, what I find out is oftentimes that that question is coming from a place of someone who has been under toxic leadership. Someone who isn't humbly sacrificing and serving for the sake of the gospel, for the purpose of blessing others. I shared this, last, uh, this earlier this February, um, but it, it comes from a book, and he talks about being in the toxic triangle. And this is what uh, this particular author uh, mentions as, re- as regard to a toxic leadership. He says, toxic leadership is narcissistic, overbearing, man- manipulates people and situations. They lead through intimidation. Everything is win-lose. All decision-making centers on them. A lack of ability to listen to others. Feeling threatened by other talented staff. Inconsistent or impulsive. Praising and then withdrawing. Interesting, that's manipulative. And what it takes place is it creates environments that are unstable, fearful, and questionable values. Now, you may have values on the board, but they're questionable values because actually the leadership isn't carrying out those values. You may have integrity, like Enron, but you don't have integrity. (laughs) It's not being played out, actually. And that's the kind of environment that you have under toxic leaders. And you have followers that are either just kind of going along with it or actually becoming toxic themselves, colluders in the whole thing. But what we talked about is that what we are called to be as leaders is shepherd leaders, not toxic leaders. And this is what characterizes shepherd leaders. Compelled by love, walks with humility, serves without a need to be noticed, Sacrificial without a need to be noticed. Approachable, unwavering mission. Creating environments of deep love, vulnerability, clear purpose, safe to confront, accountability, empathy, and generous. Whether it's the congregation or whether it's the leaders, the way we carry influence is through humble serving and sacrifice. That's the key. And I want to reiterate, we have a mission. Proclaim the glory of God's kingdom amidst a broken world. We have a message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a methodology, humble serving and sacrifice. That's all of us, that's leaders. And now I want to talk about next generation leaders. Verse 22, notice, the language that Paul uses about Timothy, but you know that Timothy has proved himself Because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Paul calls Timothy his son, and he considers Timothy, um, he's considered a father to Timothy. And if you look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he tells Timothy to make sure to pass on the gospel, uh, the teaching to reliable people. What makes them reliable? Doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Within humility, consider others better than yourself. In other words, humble serving and sacrifice. But it's four generations. It's Paul. It's Timothy. It's the people that Timothy raises up. And it's the people that Timothy raises up who raises up other leaders. Pointed to the reality of next generation leaders. We are in this moment stewarding this time for the purpose of not just living faithfully in this moment, but passing on the baton to the next generation so that they will live faithfully in their moment. And for some reason, somehow, God saw fit to put us right now at this time, at this place, to steward this moment. 
And we will be measured by our ability to steward this moment, not only in our faithfulness in the present, but in our ability to pass on the faithfulness of the gospel to faithful leaders into the next generation. That's the key. People who will continue to proclaim the glory of God's kingdom amidst a broken world with the message of the gospel, doing so with humble sacrifice and service, raising up a next generation of leaders. This is what we're being called to in these next 10 years. This is what I believe. It's, it, when, when I think about 35 to 42 million people who grew up in the church leaving the faith in this generation, and I begin to hear more and more stories of people that the reason why they're, they're leaving the faith, leaving the church, is because they were under toxic leadership. And looking at other statistics of people that are not giving their life to Christ, that number continues to increase. Or to put it another way, the people that are giving their life to Christ continues to decrease. Congregations are getting older and older, and we're finding more difficult to find next generation leaders. That is a leadership issue. All of those problems point to one reason, and this is a bias to me, and I'll own it, but everything rises and falls on leadership. We need to raise up a next generation of leaders who are fervent in the gospel of Jesus Christ, grounded in the gospel, alive in the spirit, and whose methodologies are not for themselves, but who walk out in humble sacrifice and service. Now, over the past nine years, we've raised up 45 interns, apprentices, and residents, three of those who've gone on to plant churches. One of those church plants will be coming up in Resurrection Sunday of this year. He will be preaching next week, Daniel and Allie Coffey. They were one of our interns, apprentices, and residents. Out of these 45 leaders, we have, we have seen three church plants, we have seen missionaries, we have been seen pastors that have been sent out. Now, I want you to imagine not just 45 leaders over the course of nine years, but imagine 100 to 150 occupational pastors, missionaries, and church planters who are going to be sent out of this place, bearing the mission, which is proclaim the glory of God's kingdom with the message, the gospel, carrying the methods humble sacrifice and service to go out and to transform and change the world for Christ. The only way that that is possible is through the methodology of influence. Influence that comes through laying down our life, sacrificial service. It's the only way it's possible. This is the need of the hour. And this is what we're called to as a community over the next 10 years. Why? This is the point. This is the point. Whether it's all of us well, whether it's next generation leaders or whether it's this generation leaders or whether it's all of us, this is the way that we have influence in the place and the time that God has put us. Humble sacrifice, humble serving. Why? Because Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the key. Let's pray. Let's pray.